pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. If you have heard about the murder of Jessica Chambers, do not miss the new docuseries on Oxygen. It's the true story of a teen girl, a cheerleader in Mississippi, who is burned alive. And the story of the man accused of this heinous crime. Is it the right guy on trial? Who is he? And who is Jessica Chambers? And how does such a horrific crime occur? With more questions than answers, this is a case that has captured national headlines, taken over social media, and leaves a small town divided. This is a must-see TV event. It features exclusive interviews that take you inside the investigation as the search for answers and justice goes on. Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To the man who took Molly Bish, does June 27th, 2000 mean anything to you? It's been 17 years since Molly Bish vanished. Her remains were found on a central Massachusetts mountainside three years later. The case remains unsolved. It's an open investigation. We're constantly getting 
tips and leads on it. Initially, Molly's disappearance wasn't thought to be an abduction. Theories ranged from Molly running away to being somewhere with her friends. I don't feel like she would run away and she was gone hiding out. I didn't have that feeling. There's pieces out there that we just need to fit together that's going to allow us to move forward with the investigation. Does June 27 mean anything to you? Does June 27, 2000 mean anything to you? It does to me. That is the year that we have all been looking for. Molly Bish. June 27, 2000. Every time June 27 rolls around, I think about Molly Bish. And almost every day in between. Why? What happened to a beautiful, beautiful young girl, Molly Bish? Joining me right, right now is a special guest, Maggie Bish and her daughter, Heather. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Maggie, I can't tell you what it means to me to get to speak to you again and to meet your beautiful daughter, Heather. Just, you know, it's, oh, it's funny. It's my honor to be with you. It's funny how you never think, I would never, when I was little, I would never have thought, wow, some of the greatest people I'll ever meet in my life are going to be crime victims. You know, you don't think about that when you're planning your future. There's some kind of a bond between violent crime victims, and I can't really explain it. But I'll start, Maggie, with telling you, I don't know if you know how many prayers go up every day about you and Molly and your family. I'll just start with that. And then to you, it was Molly's eighth day at a brand new job as a lifeguard. She was just 16. It was a hot summer day. Do you remember that day, Maggie? Oh, how I do. Um, Again, we had just gotten out of school. I'm a school teacher and uh, you cleaned your room. And I had, I actually was a special ed teacher and I had some, some uh, IEPs, some work to complete. And so we were all kind of buzzing a little bit. You know, Molly had a new job. My son had just trained her and um, I had taken her to work uh, the day before. And it was kind of a little unsettling. We had seen a car that day parked in the a parking lot and it was only one white vehicle and Molly got out and she was very excited and said bye mom I love you see you later you know and just she had to get some supplies ready and go down to the beach it was the first week of um, uh, swimming lessons for the town kids so we live in a very small community only 4,000 folks one traffic light a beautiful town in the central Massachusetts well 
Molly went off, and I see this vehicle on this man, and he ends up kind of staring at me, and I get kind of unnerved, and I said, I can't leave Molly here. What is this guy doing here? So I head to the beach and meet her, and we sit, and it is a very lovely little place, and it's kind of, again, it's down a, a main street, but it's also kind of isolated, and um, we sit, we talk, and I, I really... We, we haven't talked a whole lot about danger, but we talked about, you know, I said, I noticed there's more men around maybe. And she did, oh, it's just fishermen, mom, not concerned at all. I talk about how nice the beach is. And then I, I said, I got to get back and do my reports. So I go to the car and this individual is still there. I am so kind of awestruck. Like, what is he doing? He's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. There's nothing to view. It's wood. And I get into my car, and I'm looking. I had not even taken my purse before. So when I go in, I, I'm pretending I'm getting something. And prior to that, I'm walking, and he stares at me. And I have to tell you, it's like a mother bear. You just want to protect your child. You just say, what are you doing here? Go go to work. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and that just got me so unnerved. So when I went to the car to get my purse, he pulled out so fast that I didn't even think. I just got relieved. My, it was one of those immediate gut feelings. I just was uncomfortable. And that white car, still to this day, we've never found We never found the individual who was driving it. Our case remains unsolved. And um, anyway, the next day happened. Took Molly to work the same. Talked to her that night about being safe. Even offered her... Uh, a little Kubaton stick, which my husband had as a probation officer. She said, Mom, I don't need it. It's just fishermen. Don't worry. And that next morning after I drove her to work, there wasn't a single car in the parking lot. She said, Goodbye, Mom. I love you. Our routine kind of farewell. And that was the last time I ever heard my Molly. And I would have never, ever in my wildest dreams or sadness is imagined that three hours later I would get a phone call from the assistant chief of police that Molly had not been at the pond all morning. Her things were on, left on the beach, an open first aid kit, um, the police radio, her shoes, and her backpack all remained on the beach and nobody knew where she was. At that point, this was an unusual event for us. Molly was very conscientious, very kind of nervous. It's a new job. They told me she probably went with friends. I didn't. It didn't make sense. She left her shoes. She left her backpack, but she left the job at 10 o'clock when she just was starting. It just didn't make sense at all. So I called my daughter, Heather, and Heather said she would meet me at the beach, and I immediately got in my car, went to the beach, and I, I went, I, I, I'm still in disbelief, and I'm calling her and screaming her name on the beach, Molly, Molly, and people were coming. There was no Molly, and people had said that she hadn't been there. There had been no lifeguard all day, and we, I knew I dropped her off. I seen her things, so I was very, very frightened. For me, the first gut reaction was something that was really wrong here. I started to go toward um, the police station. There comes Heather with our new little granddaughter, and we go into the police station, and I say, something's very wrong. 
I need this chief, the assistant chief, because he called me, and my husband. And because he was a probation in the local area at the local court, I said, call him. That's how upset I was already. I knew in my heart that this was not how Molly operated. And they told us to go in a little room. It was two young officers, and they figured out that, oh, she just went with friends. They weren't concerned. And that's when Heather and I... You know, well, that, that they told you to go in the room, and I, I took off looking for Molly's friends. Okay, well, then <clears> I soon... So I, I went from there, yeah. And then I went also to look for her other friend in the next town that was a good friend, and she was accounted for, and then I got my son. We turned to, we returned to the beach, and when we got to the beach, we were aghast. I mean, people in a small town heard um, there's... Molly was not at the beach. It was on the scanners, and there were people starting to come. And Molly's friend's father was the head of the fire department. And nobody, I think this was the hard part, Nancy, nobody knew. Everybody felt something, but they didn't know what to do. And I really didn't see the police as I got there. It was the firemen had actually entered the pond thinking Molly drowned swimming. And that was very frightful. They had uh, those special dogs. To determine if there was a body. I mean, it was like you are now really in a surreal, unbelievable place that you've never been. And it's heartbreaking because you don't know where your daughter is. Nobody knows where she is. And you're just watching this, this show progress. And it, it, it was scary and, and sad. And you worry what she's thinking. You don't know what. Now that you have children, I know you can imagine how hard, what would your child do? And, you know, each child has their own personality. Molly was funny and silly, and but she was also very shy. And if someone would hurt her, but she would also trust somebody because she was a good kid and she had no reason not to. You know, if they dressed like a police officer or they dressed in some, you know, um, authoritative, she would go. And that's how I know that we we looked. There was no... Nobody had Molly, and we had everybody that she was, you know, friends with accounted for. And that was really our beginning of our horrible nightmare. Everyone with me is what I consider to be a friend. With me is Maggie Bish. This is Molly Bish's mother. Molly goes missing one warm June morning, 2000. The search still on for Molly's killer. And when I hear you talking, I can't help it. It takes me straight back to when my fiancé was murdered. And there's that feeling. You, I, I felt like a wild animal. This is the only way I can describe it. I felt like a wild animal that couldn't form words. I wanted to break the window with my bare hands and just howl. I didn't even know mm-hmm. words to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm thinking, I remember one night, right before I was supposed to go on the air, my longtime makeup artist, Shazan, was with me. And she got a call. And she had her hands in my in my hair at the moment and put it on uh-huh. speaker and her son was missing. Arlington was missing. And everything just went berserk. 
And I mean, I've covered all these cases. I know what to do. I know who to call. But when it happens to you, it's a whole, whole nother can of worms. In her story, he was found. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. And I'm just thinking about you at that at that pond, and they're looking in the water, and you see the first aid kit, and you see her shoes, and everything's there. Everything's right. Everything is present. But, Molly, when did you find out what happened to Molly? It took three long years before we knew anything and they were hard and it was really tough for our whole family and families suffer. You know, we used to have um, fragile Fridays. If we made it another week, you know, how are we doing checking in with each other? It was tough. We didn't have small children. My children, my son was uh, uh, just in his first year of college and Heather was just had her first child. So we were a little older, which in some ways is easier but still very difficult because every age has its own difficult acceptance you know, of losing you, a sibling. You, you're so right about that, and there are so many phases you go through. One, when you suffer a loss. My father passed away, and Sorry. I'm still a mess. He and I were, I guess, soulmates. We were just... I mean, I love my mother. I'm extremely close to her. I've always talked to her more, I guess, than I did my dad. But he and I were just two peas in a pod. And you go through, it hurts me too much to remember what I went through when Keith was murdered. But the Mm -hmm. thing that, that, that phases you go through when you lose somebody. But I guess, I don't know what, I'll have to ask you because I knew almost immediately who murdered Keith and what had happened to him. But it was 2003, almost to the day. It was June 9, 2003, before you knew what had happened to Molly. Do you remember that day? Well, you know, it is. Oh, I can tell you. It's Um, awful. My, we actually, we had did the Missing Children's Day May, at the end of May, and uh, we had come home, and John had gotten a call, my husband, and he said, we have to get home, and usually I'm saying thank you to all the people. We have two busloads of people that we take with us to Boston, and so I'm very grateful. We put flowers. We put forget-me-nots. You you don't go out there. We do a big, beautiful program, so we are coming home with all this stuff, and John is saying, hurry up, get home. We're going. We're going, and he was pushing me. I was getting a little agitated, but what happened is one of the news reporters came to our house, and they had the pictures because somebody did not believe well, how it went is there was a hunter that had spotted something that he, he wasn't familiar with, but he mentioned it to this um, person who used to be a police officer. And so they went, and they were kind of on their own doing this. And then I guess this this police officer didn't believe that the, um, you know, he was afraid the police would take credit for his find, I guess. And so he wanted someone to take pictures, and he called in the press and the press did it, and so guess what? What they do, they show it to us before the police even called us and told us anything. So I'm in my driveway, and you know how in the press car, like the vans, they have all the TVs? Oh, no. There's Molly's, yeah. This is how Molly's, I seen her bathing suit in the 
rough in the leaves, the old leaves. And John didn't remember. You know, my husband, he, he, you know, it's so funny. I actually went out with her to buy this special bathing suit because they didn't have the colored ones. He, the, the, the recreational person was going to order them. So I knew exactly what it was. It was a blue one, but it was a special one. And I knew right then and there, I, my knees almost crumbled. And I ran up the stairs and to our home. And I mean, there was three days that I could say, and when you were talking earlier, you do, it's like a primal cry. It's, it's from the depths of your soul. I knew, and I didn't want it. You know, you want to find Molly, but it wasn't the way we had hoped, you know. And my, I, I mean, I cried, and it just, the, uh, that was one of the worst, I have to say, days. And I howled, and I, every piece of me was spent and, when you say, then, you know, that when you was, say it was a special swimsuit, that and the moment you saw it, you knew what it was. What was it that you knew beyond a doubt that was Molly's swimsuit? You know, I, I, I really, I don't know to analyze it. I think it's just that I was the mother. I picked it out. It was the color, and I think there was a little bit. She was going to the training for the. Um, lifeguards and she needed a certain kind of a you know a, a tank suit type so i knew that material and it was blue but it had some you know it had to be a little bit cool so it had some mixed colorings in the middle of different things and i seen it i knew i just knew and you know again they had to send the police in they had to send a search party in they had and i mean that began a really another whole experience because the first day they came home with one bone you know, or yeah, it was a shin bone, and but it could possibly be someone mm-hmm. in Molly's age range. The next day they had rib bones, and then by the third day they had her skull. I mean, what mother sees? You know, we actually did say goodbye to Molly and kissed her goodbye, but we only had 24 bones that were found. But because of that, we were able to get her dental records. You know, so that's they had to certainly make sure it was Molly's. And I think that was the only way we were able to, they were able to say the police, but I knew, you know, and it was just confirmed. What happened to a beautiful, beautiful young girl, Molly Bish? Heather Bish is Molly's sister. Heather, what do you recall of of this time? Well, I think... You know, I, again, it was still that it, it couldn't be possible that Molly was abducted. I, you know, I thought that in the beginning that it had to be a mistake and, you know, sort of the same thing that this, this couldn't be right. There's, there's got to be an explanation for this. And then as the moments and time kept passing and Molly didn't pop out of anywhere, you know, that's when we realized her, her peril, she was, she was in a great deal of peril. So you know, we became increasingly anxious. And I think when, even when we found the bathing suit for me, I, you know, I think you just kind of just hold on to hope. Like, I don't know, maybe, they, maybe he stripped her and threw the that bathing suit in the woods or, or something. We just want, want to believe something as terrible as, as her loss isn't, isn't going to be what, what the final end of the story is. And for me, I, I can remember the day that the state police actually came up to the house on June 9th when when they did find the skull because people were coming over to my mom's house every day and I had been living in in western mass at the time and driving out every morning with my 
three-year-old and it was about a 45 minute drive and for a three-year-old that has to go potty all the time that's like two potty stops you know so never never an, an easy easy trip but we were doing that daily to to um ensure that we were we were all together and I remember we had just gotten there on June 9th and there were people in the driveway and mom, mom was talking and um in the distance I could see the district attorney and the head of our investigation um walking up the driveway and they were wearing suits and it was you know the beginning of June and I was thinking geez it's a real really a hot day to be wearing a, a full suit like that and then I it just I just knew I thought I just knew like this is it this is this is the final they're going to tell us now you know and what's interesting so uh, every- that you're saying and I, I hate to keep projecting but what you're saying is like striking so many chords in me you just when yeah. you saw those guys in the suits, you knew. Yeah, and I'm just and I really I just I just really wanted to run away. To be honest with you, I didn't even want to hear what they were going to going to say. I just thought if I could run, I would be able to outrun the truth or the reality or you know. It just felt like everything's going to change now. Our whole life, everything. And, it's really and I wasn't sure odd, Heather. If we'd ever feel that- safe again. That you, your mind tries to get around it or 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 bend with mm-hmm. it because I remember I would wake up in the mornings and I would think that Keith was still alive and this had been some elaborate ruse and I would dream mm-hmm. I would dream and this is so I don't know exactly what this means because I never saw a shrink about it probably should I would dream <laughs> that Keith wanted to get out of the engagement and so he had faked the whole thing because you know this close to us getting married he had decided that in my dream and i'd wake up and i go oh thank god he's alive and it's just you know and then i'd wait wait a minute i would have i would have dreams that molly was still alive but she would be you know she would have gone off with her friends to florida or she went on a, you know, she went on a trip and she was just back and she was going to see her old boyfriend. And I'd be, I remember in the dreams feeling like, no, you can't go. I'm, I'm, I'm desperately want to be with you and hang out with you. And generally, that's not how twenty-year-olds feel about their teenage sisters. So I, I've always sort of thought about those dreams later now in life and thought, geez, you know, maybe Molly was trying to tell me in some capacity that she was okay, you know, and it was just me feeling this desperate feeling. Listen to this. To the man who took Molly Bish, does June 27th, 2000 mean anything to you? I remember it as a warm summer day. We left home, we picked up the police radio, and then we arrived at the pond. The sand truck was there. We watched, mesmerized like little children, as the sand fell gently to the ground. Molly and Mom, for the last time. Molly said, goodbye, I love you, and ran off. It was her eighth day on her new job as a lifeguard. That was the last time I saw or heard from my Molly. I have held those words wrapped around my heart to sustain it from breaking into a million broken pieces. It's been 17 years since Molly Bish vanished. Her remains were found on a central Massachusetts mountainside three years later. The case remains unsolved. It's an open investigation. We're constantly getting uh, tips and, and leads on it. We're moving forward and going through the beginning to now. 
We started talking to some of the original investigators, just bringing them in as a group. And we also have a district attorney assigned to the case. So they came in and we just started going over their observations, their notes, their feelings, you know, things like that. Maggie Bish could never imagine a moment that she'd never see her daughter Molly ever again. Molly could be very shy and she could be very silly. There was two sides of her. In her comfort zone, she was silly like Lucy. I mean, goofy silly. We were just beginning our adult relationship when Molly disappeared, so I often wonder what that would have been like to have known her as an adult. With me is Maggie Bish. This is Molly Bish's mother. Molly goes missing one warm June morning, 2000. The search still on for Molly's killer. And I'm trying to imagine your your view you know you pull up and you at a distance see all these guys in suits in your driveway and i'm trying to imagine what maggie what that what that was when press a van pulls up and they run up what what did they have a picture of her swimsuit maggie well you know what i guess mm-hmm. this like i said this person didn't believe it so they had six tvs going on there were six TVs in that van, and there was every vantage point that they could take the picture. And I mean, it truly was a small piece of bathing suit that was peeking out from underneath twigs and, and old leaves. And it was just taking in different you know, views. And I, I, I mean, I, it didn't take me a second to gather that information, to, you know, milliseconds. And I, I, I ran up the stairs because I knew I closed my door in my room and I, I began to howl. I was on my knees and, you know, John was down there talking and I just like, could this be? I mean, because again, we had just did Missing Children's Day for the folks in Massachusetts. It was a beautiful day, a great, we were coming home feeling at least we're doing something positive and, you know, we always will miss Molly. That's what we, but to see this was, it was too close to knowing that this was not good. When we talk about violent crime, it's almost as if we're drinking from a fire hydrant. It's just too much, too fast, too furious. If you have heard about the murder of Jessica Chambers, don't miss the new docuseries on Oxygen, the true story of a teen girl, cheerleader, Mississippi, burned alive. The story of the man now accused of the heinous crime. Is the right guy on trial? Who is he? And who was Jessica Chambers? How does such a horrific crime even occur? More questions than answers. It's a case that has captured national headlines, taken over social media, and has now left and is leaving a small town divided. It's a must-see TV event with exclusive interviews that take you inside the investigation as the search for answers and justice goes on. Don't miss it. It is Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, Saturdays, 7, 6 Central, on Oxygen, the new network for crime. With me is Maggie Bish. This is Molly Bish's mother. Molly goes missing one warm June morning, 2000, the search still on for Molly's killer. We are now hearing rumblings that DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, 
protests are stirring little seeds of hope. Well, what do you know about a potential DNA test? You want to talk, Heather? Yeah, sure. I um, have been sort of headlining the investigative efforts with, with for my family, but about a year ago, they took, and every so often they'll take piece, pieces of evidence and and submit them for DNA testing, and they'll try to compare it when they have a, <clears throat> a few years ago they had a really um, quote-unquote good person of interest um, down in Florida, and they, you know, had taken some DNA from there and submitted it, and then nothing was sort of a hit. Um, so as so I guess our hope sort of lies in the science and technology that, you know, sort of helping investigators solve these older cases. And um, so last year they took 24 pieces of evidence um, to retest. And so they don't exactly tell us what it, what they took or where it came from, but we know it was 24 pieces of evidence um, and they resubmitted them for further testing, you know, as they, like I said, the, the technology increases and the touch DNA becomes available. Um, they, they will continuously keep, keep resubmitting for particularly these older cases because they've had, they've been able to, um, you know, solve cases based on, on this DNA. I mean, the, the seeds of hope are that DNA right. samples have been taken and they're being re-examined with new techniques that were not possible at that time. I mean, that is a huge big deal because I recall trying rape cases, murder cases, you name it, with no DNA. You know what I'd have? I'd have blood, a blood sample and I could say, well, yeah. the suspect is A positive and the perpetrator was A positive. That was it. Right. Or maybe right. a hair, and I could say the rapist or the killer is a Caucasian male with X hair. I mean, that was it. There was no right. nuclear mitochondrial touch, nothing. So this is a right. major right. development that they are doing this. I want to ask you about this um, deep ground sonar test that's sure. being done what what do we know about that the, yeah so we you know over the years we've you know because law enforcement is uh you know they sort of work on their own and 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 you know they don't necessarily report to victim families it, that can become very frustrating for victim families um and because we you know felt very strongly that we wanted this to be solved we wanted our community to feel safe we wanted our friends kids to feel safe you know we've we've all grown up here we're you know in, in some capacity family to each other what do you think they hope to find heather with the ground penetrating radar and it's on a private property in an undisclosed location in worcester county what what could that mean what, was that where the swimsuit was found, Maggie, in Worcester County? No. Okay. No. It was where we received a, a – so so I'm just trying to put the backstory here. We um, – some fa friends in the area, a uh, person who has a Ph.D. in criminology, and I sort of formed this sort of investigative team. It kind of came off through our fundraisers and things like that. We developed this little team. 
this little team developed these um, campaigns. So one year we did um, billboards. Another year we did ads. Each time we do one, we do a tip campaign. And so we had a just one piece campaign because the state police had always said we're one piece away from solving this crime. During our just one piece campaign, we received a number of tips on a particular person who stayed at a this particular campground in Worcester County. Um, the next year, we had another campaign, and we called it Just One Car, because we were trying to identify this white car. Was it tied to this person that okay, we got? Okay, so the person. location. The location well, is right, my question. Right. So let me understand. So the location that, is the campground where a potential right. suspect stayed. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Maggie, they are looking for with the deep ground search? Well, I understand that it it has the potential to be able to uh, recognize metal or rock or anything, and especially if there was something of some size. You know, bearing a car is quite big. You know, how deep could they go? So this radar has a way to analyze how the depths and how significant that, um, you know, if it's metal or something that, you know, I, I guess that's what they do. They do some kind of a, you know, computation and it, it determines. So from what we understand, there were three places that they felt some interest. Now, I, you know, again, they have to hand that information over to the, the state police and the state police have to, you know, decide if it's worth digging or going into. Now, again, it could be, it's like this whole story, again, you always get hopeful, but you have to kind of protect yourself from disappointment. you got to, you know, you don't really, you want it, but you're scared. The emotional battle within is unbelievable because you've been doing this so long now that you want it, but we don't get to choose any of it, you know? So now, again, isn't it true, grateful. Maggie, that other girls similar in age to Molly also were kidnapped? Yes, we have a girl that was 10 years old, a little bit younger, um, in Sturbridge, which is a 20-minute uh, uh, distance from our home. And she was taken before Molly, maybe seven years. Uh, there had been some cases or maybe even a little older, that were in northern Michigan, Massachusetts, near the New York border. And there was a, a gentleman that they thought was a serial killer up there that might have been involved. I mean, it, you know, it's so sad. I mean, you hear these horrible cases, but you don't understand them. And you certainly, I, I wasn't one that, you know, really understood any of this. You know, now... I know all these families who have struggled and who keep struggling, you know, to find their loved ones and how they deal with it. And, and it is very, very hard. So, you know, again, there possibly could be serial killer out there. And that's what worried us because this, to me, honestly, Nancy, how does a normal person do something this horrific and that is so, it's like when you throw the rock into the river and there ripples. It has caused so much pain to Molly's friends, our family, out into the community, the fear that he's somewhere. Please write this number down, 877 
877-298-5155. Toll free, 877-298-5155. One day, this case will be solved. Molly Bish, still on our minds, still in our hearts. Thank you. Maggie, Heather, thank you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. And you will always be one of my most special people in the world. And um, I appreciate it so much. And and you're helping so many people. And you're still continuing. And from my Molly, we thank you with all our hearts. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.